1: This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, an award winning Premier League show with the latest news and opinions from the English top flight. And this morning we've learned just how the English game could change in the near future. The UK government have revealed their plans for a new independent body to help regulate the game. No breakaway clubs allowed the European Super League. No more financial chaos like we've seen in the past. And more involvement for the fans. It almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? We'll get into that shortly. Speaking of too good to be true, Liverpool's two goal Champions League lead over Real Madrid at Anfield. It was fun while it lasted. But after conceding five. Just how clear a message is it that things are really not right with the Reds? We'll discuss that as well as European action for both Manchester clubs on today's episode of Football Social Daily. Hit subscribe now and that way you will not miss a show. Joining me, Niall McCorn, today we've got Marley Anderson. Hello, Marley.
2: Hello. No uh, how
1: you this time. <laughs> uh, no how
2: a no. Uh, <laughs> not yet. In fact, in fact, never again. Never no. again will you do that.
0: But, I will never do that again. Yeah. Or oh, is this an inside joke or something? Well, Joel's oh, been away in Paris, choose, hasn't he? Sorry, yeah, exactly. I wasn't listening to the show, show today. In Paris.
1: Fresh <laughs> from the French capital is Joel Tudor. Bonjour, bonjour monsieur. Bonjour, bonjour.
0: Ça va bien, merci. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't listening into the, the pod while I was on the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> Why so, not? Apologies for that.
2: <laughs> messing around in the Louvre
1: saying, oh, who's yeah. painted that? Who's, oh, that's rubbish, that? Yeah, he said the Mona Lisa was terrible, but you did see a piece of art of your own in the form of Lionel Messi, who was sensational for PSG at the weekend. What a game you got to watch at the Parc de France.
0: Yeah, I managed to get some really beautiful seats at the park. Um, got to see the second best player everly and now Messi, right in front of me. <laughs> um, now, to be honest, though, it was such a bucket list thing for me to see Messi live and to see him score a winner in the last minute. Although, when you watch him live for PSG, he must walk about a mile the whole game i (laughs) swear to god he was limp super limp same with mbappe same with neymar they put in zero shift nothing so yeah it's not the greatest quality league but i mean i got to see all them three so i was super happy
1: is it a farmer's league like everyone says it is
0: It is. honestly the the vibe around it and just the quality just it felt so disrespectful to them three players you know like when you just saw how everyone was playing i was Mm. thinking what are you guys doing in this league? Well, I hope you enjoyed
1: me. your time in France because you won't be allowed mm. back there now
2: after saying I that. Say, they're look, they're look I go in the team. corporate <laughs> season as well, so I'm never getting back there again. Everyone on Charles de Gaulle Airport is uh, on red alert have just got my Coming. face on the screen. This guy doesn't like PSG.
0: Every Ryanair
1: from Manchester Airport is being screened on the way in <laughs> to France. All airports. Listen, we're not here to talk about French football. We're here to talk about the beautiful game in this country, the United Kingdom and the government <laughs> have revealed some new paperwork on a potential independent football regulator, something people have been calling for in this country for a while. It will effectively be an independent body to help regulate the English game. And the UK government, as I say, has this morning revealed those plans. And the idea of it is to give fans a greater input into the way that the game is run. So let me break down some of these possible legislations for you. The main purposes of this proposed new regulator will be stopping English clubs from joining closed shop competitions such as the European Super League, preventing a repeat of financial failings which have been seen at numerous clubs, notably the collapses of Bury Football Club and Macclesfield Town. Both of those clubs were liquidated and had to drop out of the Football League. Of course, the Football League is not just the Premier League, it's the three professional divisions below that. We know football clubs mean a lot. They're not just franchises in this country. They are massive, massive parts of the community. So sad to see those clubs dissolved. It will also introduce a more stringent owners and directors test to protect clubs and fans. So often we've seen poor or crooked ownership at football clubs, including my own team, so I know exactly what that feels like giving fans the power to stop owners doing things like changing a club's name, a club's badge and traditional kit colours. We've seen something akin to that, for instance, at Cardiff City in recent years, where Vincent Tan, their Malaysian owner, decided to change the club's traditional blue kit to a red kit and it didn't go down well. And finally, ensuring a fair distribution of money that filters down through the English football pyramid from the Premier League. We of course know how rich the Premier League is, but the EFL clubs often don't see that as much as they would like, such as at Accrington Stanley, their owner Andy Holt has been very vocal on his desire to see more money filtered down the pyramid. So those are the five key factors really that this independent body that the government are willing to put together We'll be focusing upon. Now, when you bear all of that in mind, it sounds like a pretty good deal, Marley. Fans will be more involved. There won't be any more stuff like the Super League cropping up. It sounds like a good plan. Is it a move you welcome?
2: Uh, on the well, on the face of it, yeah. But at the minute, it's just a plan, isn't it? And all yeah, plans sound no. good. And then when you realise that the government is is involved in bringing it in, <laughs> you think, hmm. <laughs> If there's a way to mess it up, they'll probably do it. So um, there's a long way to go, but, you know, the initial um, things that it sets out are, are obviously welcomed in the game. You know, the, the ownership, you know, there's been too many instances of of owners uh, taking over football clubs to, to load them with debt or to to sort of offset their debts and, and certain things like the Glazers at Man United taking dividends and basically profiting off the club, which is not exactly... Um, ethical or anything like that and then there's the the, the biggest stuff like the owners of of Newcastle of of Manchester City of PSG over in France and and plenty plenty of other examples like you mentioned Cardiff uh Hull you know they've um there's been a lot of things going on over the years that that people don't like and were unfortunately powerless to stop but mm. you know it's a loophole that that needs to be closed I suppose um and yeah, if you know, if, if it if it works then then great. If if something comes of this then great. But, you know, I think we're a long way away from it from you know, every every time we see the government say, Oh yeah, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, it's gonna be great, there's always people that, you know, oppose it and uh and then the actual thing that you get at the end of it is not what was originally promised. So I think there's a long, long way to go for this.
1: Yeah, I certainly agree. At the moment, it is just plans and scripture on a piece of paper. So we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens when it is pushed through. What's interesting to me, having read through this this morning, and I'm sure there'll be you know, more well-informed uh, football media personalities who pass an opinion on this. But from initial reactions, some of the things I've read are quite interesting, Joel. For instance, clubs will need to obtain a licence effectively proving that they've got sound financial and sound business strategies to be able to compete in the league. If you don't get a licence, you can't play games. So it could get a little
0: bit messy. There'll be a lot of rules in this kind of manifesto that they've given, which are going to be tested quite a lot over the next few years. But after looking at it, I just thought straight away, even though they give all of these different examples of, oh, we're going to make sure that, you know, they're protected as clubs and they're going to have to give some kind of... Um, regulation if they can play football but the main aim of this was to stop the Super League I think that was the absolute bottom line I don't think this would have come around had it been in response to you know the likes of Berry and Macersfield potentially going under this was purely because the biggest clubs were trying to threaten to leave English football or try and threaten what English football is and they didn't want that to happen and they've almost created a closed gate society now which they cannot get out of and um, and I think it's also in response to just recently when you look at Barcelona and Juventus the troubles that they've been going through recently and when you've been seeing remarks from you know a lot of Syria president clubs they're desperate to get the English clubs involved because the English clubs hold the key to European football yeah if without the English clubs the European clubs have no ground to walk on when it comes to the super league yeah and that's why it's been expedited massively now
1: well this is the issue I think when it comes to the European clubs and we've heard some, not representatives of other leagues, but certainly people who have an affiliation with Spanish La Liga or Italian Serie A who have come and spoken about how the Premier League needs to share their wealth. The Premier League has the best product in world football. It's the most marketable product. It's the most watched product. Some of the biggest clubs on the planet compete in the Premier League. So naturally, broadcasters and sponsors will throw more money at the Premier League than they would at La Liga, for example. La Liga has great clubs like Barcelona and Real Madrid, but when you go below that, quality drops. the quality drops and the attractiveness and appeal to sponsors and investors drops off. There's a top six in English football. There's pretty much a top two in Spanish football. And then you've got Sevilla, Atletico Madrid, who are probably just beneath those top two. And I think that the problem that these European clubs face is is because the Premier League is so attractive to broadcasters who are spending a lot of money on the rights and sponsors who are spending a lot of money on marketing for the Premier League, they just can't compete with how big a product the Premier League is. For instance, you know, you watch PSG at the weekend, those players would be on very, very tidy money, no doubt about it. But are PSG able to sustain that? Probably yes, because of the wealth of their owners, but not all clubs will be able to do that. So I think there's a there's an issue there from the European side of things to try and pop the Premier League balloon. I'm
0: trying to wonder how they bridge the gap with it because let's not get it twisted like Italian football and French football they are as culturally obsessed with sport probably even more so than England so it's not like it's a case of oh their fans aren't passionate enough or they don't look at their games enough because they probably do more than us in many ways. I think it's I don't know if it's a case of the fact that because in England it's an English language game, so it's a little bit more appealing to the rest of the world to watch and be accessed to. I don't know if that's a case of it. I don't know if it's a case of just the historic uh, teams that are from England. I think that's what
1: it is. I think it's the history and the culture of the game in this country. Which has been so, it's from like a century
0: ago, isn't it, basically? Exactly.
1: Well, well, PSG, to use them as an example, you were there at the weekend, Mm. formed in 1970, 52 Mm. years old. My dad is older than
0: PSG Football Club. But it's crazy because there's a new generation of um, football fans.
2: Same year as Alan Shearer, I think. (laughs) (laughs) PSG's as old as Alan Shearer. Yeah, I think Shearer's slightly older.
0: (laughs) But there's a new generation of football fans, so that shouldn't really matter. But I think a lot of fans, like let's say new fans from Asia, Mm. they look at the teams and it's clear that it's Manchester United, Real Madrid or Barcelona. I understand that, but this is
1: where the cultural heritage and legacy of the English game comes in. Because Marley, the reason you support Newcastle United is because of your dad Mm -hmm. and your granddad. Mm -hmm. And it's the same reason I support Portsmouth, because of my dad and my granddad. Traditions would be the same for Marley, who no doubt, if he chooses to have children... He'll
0: unfortunately force them to support Newcastle United. as well. am <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just thinking like, what changed then? Because let's not forget, in like the early 2000s, the English league wasn't the top top league, was it? It was more the Italian and the Italian well, league. In was the, the 90s, main one. the Italian league was so probably what, the top what, league. what, yeah. like, what, where did that dynamic change then? What, was it literally the induction of the Premier League which changed the whole outlook of like how much money these clubs get, how much investment they can get? Because the Italian product is very good. They've got incredible stadium. Well. It's lacking now, but in 2000s, they were have, the yeah. stadiums. Yeah. Now, it's almost like they've been absolutely eclipsed. They were really high-running. The Milan clubs were yeah. overtaking everyone. Uh, Rome, you know, they were there or thereabouts. They've been completely overtaken. And I'm just wondering why they've lagged behind so much, because they have a great product.
2: They, they stay, like, with, with the example of Italy in particular, Like they stayed still. Like, they just it was like they, they got to the top and just stopped yeah. like because all if you, if you go to any stadium it, in italy with the um exception of the the new juventus stadium every every stadium is so old mm-hmm. i've been to a yeah. few i've been to, I've, I've seen the san Siro... I've seen... I've been to Palmer Stadium. That is a... Yeah, a I I it's all the running track ones, relic. isn't it? I went yeah. to the Stadio
1: Olimpico last year, which does have a running track around yeah, the outside of it, and, yeah. you know, there were trees growing out the inside of the stadium <laughs>
2: and stuff like that,
1: you know. Yeah, it's, it's, di- just, it's dilapidated it's, to an yeah, extent. It's, it's,
2: like, it's like traditional, but, you know, for the new the new game, you're not going to attract new fans f- worldwide as much. Like It's just... it is going to age quickly. Um, so that's probably why the Premier League, you know, everyone... Look at look at the Premier League now everyone's getting a new stadium it's that that's the in thing now mm. you look at Everton doing it you look at Newcastle trying to expand the stadium There's talks of man united brentford have got a brand new one man united want a new one uh, or or massively redevelop the other one spurs have got the, probably the best one in europe now uh, arsenal's uh, emirates is still brand new um you know everything's moving towards that and you look at other countries and they're not quite doing it as much real madrid have been Re-developing uh, the Burnabout for God knows how long now. They've had that lower bowl shut for God knows how long, haven't they? So, you know, they're they're redoing that to to catch up sort of thing. Um, the the new camp as well. That needs that needs doing. That's just that's,
0: began the renovations, but that's going to take a. I don't even know how they're affording that to be yeah, honest.
2: But. Probably selling the bloody cathedral or something <laughs> and siphoning <laughs> off some money from that. But you know, it is. That's that's um the problem the other countries face. Their product isn't as strong, therefore their infrastructure mm. isn't as good. Um And as well with the the way foreign, particularly Spanish teams, work, it's the president thing. Yeah. The socios, isn't it? Well, this doesn't is, really work. This is what this independent regulator
1: will hope to achieve, to have a more robust owners and directors test. So with all due respect to Vincent Tan, the Cardiff owner, you can't have an owner coming in and changing the club's colours. That's you right. Know, you it, can't have... Right. The gentleman who was in charge of Hull trying to change the name of the club to Hull Tigers, which was met by huge backlash, and rightly so. We have this idea and understanding in this country that football club owners are custodians of a community asset. It's exactly what they are. They might own the club and run it as a business, but these traditions go back a long way. And I think this is the difference between European sport and American sport, for example, because... A lot of the time in America, you see these franchises pop up in different cities. This, the colour of their kit will be this. Mm. The badge will look like this. I was asking them about it, and, and I, that's said, how how do you, it I said,
0: How do you feel about it if your team moves cities? And they say, Our Manchester United in Newcastle is their college football, where like, yeah. it never moves. Yeah, got a yeah. University of Michigan never moves. That's yeah. always our team. That's true. If it's the Broncos, whatever that it's a franchise that's like that's how much it. That, that's their system mm. and and so with ours you know you've got new owners that have been coming in constantly and treat your football clubs like they're a corner shop mm. where you can treat it how you want to well, this you is- can change the furniture how you want to but they're forgetting that it was built with the foundation of the community and you can't touch that you have to follow the rules of the community the fans always have control in the end I know they say that, you know, these billionaires have so much control, but it's false. Because when you looked at when Manchester United fans stopped that game against Liverpool in the bid against the Glazers, the fans have all the power and they will never, ever change. Um, And that's how it always should be. But they need to facilitate the fans, not go against them.
1: I agree. And to only use my club as an example, because I can only speak from what I know. We had owners rush through when we were in financial turmoil just to kind of keep the club afloat. Some of them, we don't even know if they were real people. We don't even know if they existed. Another has been arrested and put in jail in the Middle East for embezzlement, stealing money off of his wife. I mean, That's, that, that's admirable. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, chances, crooks. Yeah, These yeah, are people yeah. that have been operating in our game for far too long. And, you know, you look at clubs like Berry and Macclesfield, who are a far cry from the Premier League, and I understand that this is a Premier League podcast, but they're clubs who have basically disappeared and had to start again because of the trouble that they were put into by owners who didn't really know what they were doing. They didn't have a sound financial plan and it's scary. It's a scary thing when you're a supporter of a football team and you don't know if you're going to wake up the next morning and still have a club to support. Fans should never be put in that position and I think that's what this independent regulator is trying to do. So although as, we're, you know, as much as we're trying to pick apart this kind of new independent body that might be put together by the government, you know one thing we can agree on, I think, is that Fans having the ability to democratically stop an owner from changing things like Newcastle's kit from black and white stripes to green and black, mm. you do stuff like that, you know, that that's definitely a positive for me.
0: It's almost like a graded building, isn't it? You don't touch like the cathedral in Barcelona just because a new investor took over the land you can't touch it. Yeah yeah. Like you can't change the mm. the signage on the top listed to how building. you want it like the the, great the, Fed, the FedEx Sagrada Familia like you don't yeah. touch it. You know
1: if you're an owner of something expensive you'd expect to be able to go in and change it as you will. You can't do that with a football club. So but I think they, they a listed building is for. a great
0: example. Yeah they know what they sign is for. Li- it is a listed building and the the more history a club's got the more untouchable it is. So maybe like Paris Mm Saint-Germain, I don't know, maybe, well, let's actually know because the Parisian people are a bit crazy, but um, (laughs) uh, maybe if it was like a newer club, you know, ones that have been founded in 2000, okay, you might have a bit of leeway there because Mm. it's still finding his identity. But when you go to like Manchester United, not a chance are you touching anything when it comes to the name of the stadium, the club colour, anything. Imagine Newcastle changing to like red. Well,
1: Sports Direct Arena yeah. was a thing for a yeah. while,
0: wasn't it? That- <laughs> oh yeah. God, I remember that. God, yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, and that didn't last a great deal of time because of fan pressure, but that wouldn't have even needed to have happened with yeah. this new independent regulator because the fans would immediately have gone, no, that's not happening. We're not letting it happen.
2: Yeah, it's just, it's people not understanding the the history of, of things, isn't it? You know, they come in and treat it like, like you say, with, with too much freedom and, too much um hmm. disregard for the history of the of the institution type of thing you know it's been going like newcastle has been going 130 years now um you can't come in and change us to red red stripes or whatever it was you know or call it a sports director even though you can do it and he did do it for a few years um eventually you know it won't go down well and you lose you lose. well you're shooting yourself in the foot really because you lose fans and then brands don't want to associate with you because the fans hate you. So you are just sort of cutting your nose off to spite your face. Like he did that as a as an advertising plot plastered Sports Direct in twelve foot uh, letters across the the roof of St James's Park. But realistically, if you're a brand, you're not going to put your name on on the roof because everyone just thinks, right, screw them, don't buy from them. I didn't buy anything from Spot Direct for, for years.
0: But would you would you have be been more happy say Ashley was actually a competent owner though? So you know when you see the Emirates Stadium, it had to be done to facilitate them building. Yeah, but it was stadium. new. Did I it, mean this it, it was
2: new, like it, you couldn't, or the you couldn't Spotify rename hybrid. Every, every Barcelona fan hates the fact that it's called Spotify Camp nou. Right.
1: You know it's one of those this independent regulator uh, is being legislated by the UK government we are just reacting to the news this morning I'm sure as this develops and moves forward and more intelligent people than us here on Football Social Daily have their say on it we'll be able to pass more comment but for now interesting news when it comes to the government and regulation of English football moving forward we're going to talk about on-field matters rather than off-field matters next on FSD because the Champions League and Europa League of course course are back after the World Cup and there's been some big games Barcelona versus Manchester United tonight in the Europa League but it's Champions League action we're going to focus on next and it didn't go to plan for Liverpool see you after this Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast from Sport Social. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode again. On Tuesday night, the Champions League was back and Liverpool welcomed Real Madrid to Anfield. Two clubs with a little bit of rivalry in history, in particular over the last few years. A repeat of last season's final in which Real Madrid ended up lifting the trophy. And Liverpool felt as though they had got their revenge, taking a two-goal lead over the Spanish side at Anfield only for that lead to be eroded and the scoreline to finish Joel Liverpool 2 Real Madrid 5 now nobody would have seen that coming with Liverpool 2-0 up inside the first half but it didn't take very long for things to unravel what on earth is going on at
0: Anfield right now? I want to know what was in the goalkeeper's bottles because <laughs> they were on a mad one that night I don't know what the hell was going on two competent keepers as well and um, When I saw Liverpool go 2-0 up, I was thinking, are Real Madrid completely slipping uh, now? Because in their league, they're about eight points off Barcelona. And I was thinking, okay, Liverpool are having one of those nights in Europe where, despite their league form, they're just completely um, eradicating and erasing that and just upping their game for a European night. But with Real Madrid, there's something about that club where, no matter how bad they are, the... I want to say, in terms of Jose Mourinho, the football heritage of Real Madrid gets them through games. It makes them feel invincible, like they're never dead. I don't know how many goals you need to score against Real Madrid to put them in the grave because they just never seem down and out. Like a boxer who just won't go down and you have to beat them on points. Um, but after going 2-0 up, you would think, and especially Jurgen Klopp side, that they would go on and get stronger and stronger as the game went on. And it just seemed like they, I think Liverpool gifted Real Madrid back into the game massively, especially with um, Alisson's error to make it 2-2. I think that was a massive turning point in that because I think they could have easily at least ground out a 2-1 victory. But to go then and concede four goals at Anfield, you can clearly see that there's something massively, massively wrong at that club at the moment, Um, to the point where I think that, especially after the owner, Henry, has come out and said that Liverpool's not for sale... I think Klopp's probably going to be reconsidering so much because he was probably banking on um, some kind of investment coming in because he can see in this squad, it's so paper thin in midfield and the defence is completely capitulating constantly to the point where Jamie Carragher said that he could get into the team over Virgil van Dijk now. Mm. I mean, imagine him saying that three years ago. He was like his biggest fan. So for Liverpool, it's an impossible task. I think they're out. It's impossible to beat this Real Madrid side at the Bernabeu in, in such fashion. Um, and there's major issues going on there at the moment. Major issues.
1: Well, you mentioned Jamie Carragher. On TV, Marley, Carragher said that this is the end of an era
2: for Liverpool. Mm. Do you agree? Yeah, probably. Um, it needs a rebuild, just like it did when, when Klopp arrived at the club. It needed a, a rebuild from the Hodgson and Rodgers era um, into the the beast it became. And then, you know, sooner or later, that, you know people catch up with you either they get used to the way you're playing or you play age or you sell the wrong ones at the wrong time then I think Liverpool have got a case of of all three really I think I mentioned before on the podcast I think a lot more teams are comfortable playing against teams with a press like a, a really sort of aggressive press um, so that's not as as, as bothered uh, people aren't as bothered about that I think Mane Mane getting sold was was uh, you know in hindsight a mistake because you know the way he's, with the way they've dropped off compared to the, how they were when he was in the team is, is staggering. And um, and they've had no midfield. And you know they're bringing in youngsters like uh, Bice who looks good, but you know I think he showed he's inexperienced. I, I was surprised Klopp started him against Real Madrid because the way Modric just, I mean Modric will boss any midfield, but against an 18-year-old who's literally old enough to be his his father. You know, he uh, he just bossed him and Fabinho's dropped off a big time. Trent still can't defend. His defending for Militao's goal was shocking. He, is the, he was the guy marking Militao. Militao makes a movement and Trent literally just stood there and watched him and went, oh God, please don't score, please don't score. And then he heads it in. Mm. And I think that was to make it 3-2 as well. So a vital stage of the game.
1: Well, for me, it was the Modric run from... Midfield, the edge of for Benzema's yeah, goal. Yeah, the edge of Real Madrid's box to, yeah. you know, that's that's the key, isn't yeah. it? When you, when you look at the the
2: poorness of the five goals, that was the one that stood out the most, I think. Yeah, and that, I think that summed them mo- up the most because he 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 goes shoulder to shoulder with Bysitic and is a young is a young lad, but all you got to do there is just pull his shirt and stop him because that's that's the key. You can't let Modric break your line in midfield and get at your defence when he's got Vinicius and Benzema ahead of him. Um, so you've just got to chop him there, just just foul him. Um, he wasn't booked at the time, so he could have just took the yellow and, and showed a bit of experience and slowed the game down, but instead he, he didn't. He, he let him run and you know, he, Modric goes on, puts Benzema in, um, and he rounds the goalkeeper. Gomez defends like he's never seen a football in his life. Um, Alisson goes down far too quick, far too easy, gets dribbled round easy and... Liverpool a five-two down going into the second leg at the Bernabeu, which is pretty much an insurmountable task now. So it's um, they got what they, they deserved really, because you can't you can't play like that, you can't defend like that, and you can't um, you can't go into games like that expecting to win.
0: I'm just, when... I'm just wondering, um, do you think Liverpool's defense is now a bit more on show because their pressing game isn't as harsh anymore? Because I always remember watching Klopp's Liverpool side like three or four years ago and their press was ridiculous to the point where you couldn't even get out of the defence. But you can't. I just don't Maybe. see how
1: you can sustain that style of football for six, seven years with the same players yeah. and, ex- and expect
2: mm. them to be the same. Yeah, well, that, that buys into the, the two points I made before. Like Teams get used to you and you get older. You've either, you've either got to keep getting keep the team at the same age so they've got the same energy by buying younger players and fitting them into your system. Or you need to sort of take the chance that no one's going to work out this crazy style of football you've got. But everyone will because everyone will just watch you every week and go, right, they press when we get here. So what can we do when we get it here to evade their press?
1: You say about working Liverpool out, some Liverpool fans have lamented the release of Pep Linders, who's the... Assistant manager at Liverpool, he's mm. launched a book recently where basically Liverpool's tactics are laid bare Yeah. inside the book. There's pictures of tactics boards, there's explanations as to how Liverpool played when they were kind of at their peak a couple of years ago under Klopp. A few people have read into that and suggested that that might be a reason why Liverpool aren't quite at the levels that they were before. Is that something you agree with or is it just... Another thing to kind of throw on the bonfire of what is
2: Liverpool at the moment. I don't know. I've not. I've not read the book, so I can't really. <laughs> I've not read the book. I'm not going to read the book. But surely, I you probably know, wouldn't understand the book. Surely Pep Guardiola isn't is. buying
1: Pep Linder's book, and surely Thomas Frank hasn't got a copy on his the, bookshelf, uh, and you know.
0: I think the Liverpool owner will like that excuse, <laughs> considering he's not um, wanted to invest too much in the midfield. I'd, I think that's a scapegoat. That. Um, these these clubs have got top analysts watching them weekly. Yeah. They know exactly what they need to look You've for to team break them of down. Them, isn't it? Yeah, and to be honest, that mid that Liverpool midfield isn't that difficult to break down anyway. I think even some of the worst teams in the league—not well, I don't want to say worse, but like Brighton, for example, when they play Liverpool, yeah. they absolutely picked them apart, yeah. and that's Brighton. And that's because
2: they're comfortable playing against. Yeah, they know, can they're comfortable play. in possession. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they're, they're quite I, happy with it. This is the
0: thing in the Premier League now. A lot of teams are so comfortable on the ball, whereas like 10, 15 years ago, it was like constant long balls and. Yeah, that, I don't see any them, long. It. I don't see any long ball teams anymore. It's changed completely. Everyone plays very attractive football, uh, but yeah, I think. Liverpool now, I think that was the fans one silver lining for the season in thinking if we beat Real Madrid, you know, yeah. there's a chance we can go all the way here and somehow blagger, you know, a Champions League again and get into the European positions. Now they've got nothing this season and it's gonna be a long, long way to go to eight uh, to March and eight sorry, to May and try and analyse what's just gone wrong. What do they do next? Rebuild. Spend money.
2: If they've got it. You need to spend it. And these, I'd say they need three midfielders,
0: at least. Just um, they, they did good.
1: They did 18 months ago, need three midfielders.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they spent it all on a new forward line. Yeah. Priorities. I think the key was the key individuals who were part of their um, talent sourcing, their director of football, when he left, it all just seems to have gone down the drain. They had such a great system... You know, when they sourced the likes of Salah when no one wanted him, when they got um, Sadio Mane when no one wanted him. I don't see those signings anymore from them. I mean, Cody Gakpo, I felt like that was a bit of a a, a reaction yeah, to his World Cup. They would never have done that three or four years ago. It's, I'm sensing sh- the strategy change there. That Nunes needs was to be... a reaction
2: as well. Nunes was a direct reaction to City getting Haaland. Yeah, and they've yeah, gone, true. oh crap, we need to get someone. And Nunes is a good player. I, th- I think he will be, will be good, but... He was a he was a reaction, and he was um, sums up what Liverpool have done. They've reacted to what other teams are doing, rather than what they need. Like oh no, they've got a striker, and it's what they used to do. Like, oh no, Man United is signing Gakpo. Can, can we have him? Yeah, we'll get him. We've already got Jota, Diaz, you know, Firmino, <laughs> Salah. You don't need him. Hmm. Just but, to kind of ride that point into talking
1: about Manchester City now, who were also in Champions League action last night away at Leipzig, where they drew. Do you think we're seeing a bit of a point or a period in the Premier League right now where it's kind of similar to what happened when Leicester won the title? Now, I'm not comparing this season to the season Leicester won the title because, as you know, by the 5,000 to 1 bookies odds before that campaign of them winning the league, it is a crazy, remarkable thing that happened and it will never happen again. But Leicester won the title because Arsenal weren't particularly good. Tottenham weren't particularly good. Manchester United and Liverpool were nowhere to be seen. Chelsea were nowhere to be seen, really. And yet this season, you've seen Liverpool 9th and Chelsea 10th. You've got Manchester City, not really their normal selves, as I think was probably evidenced by another slightly lacklustre performance last night. So, you know, you've got an Arsenal team who are fit and firing and young and up for it, who are top of the table. And, you know, just kind of leading into the point about Manchester City, their performance last night, they've just not been their usual selves. So it seems like it's something that's happening across the Premier League where maybe we're seeing a bit of a change in the way things are done or teams are having a lull, but it just happens to be all at the same time.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think with Man City, they're... They're trying to. They're they're probably a few months ahead of where Liverpool are. Like Liverpool need to change, as we said. You know, they change the tactics or change the personnel, and Pep's trying to do that with Man City. He's trying to usher in this new um, era because he's trying to guard against complacency. They're doing it for different reasons. Because you know, City have had the success they need to keep it, whereas Liverpool are are just sort of going a bit stale. But you see the formation Man City play, and no one can quite work it out. You know, Bernardo Silva's kind of playing left back. They've kind of got four strikers up front, but Harlan's not getting many touches and they're still trying to, you know, tippy-tap it around the, the box before, like rather than go straight into him like Dortmund used to do and like um, Salzburg did before that. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a bit strange, really, Man City at the minute, but they keep getting caught out because teams are more comfortable playing against a team with 20% possession, and they're quite prepared for that. And they'll go, yeah, you know, we we will only have the ball for, you know, one minute or two minutes out of every 10 minutes. But when we get it, we'll have a plan. And you're seeing that. And that's why Pep's trying to change it again. Because if you play 4-3-3 again and again and again and again, it's easier to plan for than um, a team that's trying something new, even if there's a bedding-in system that's taking a bit longer than he'd probably expect with this new style of uh, of formation tactics. I agree, staying hungry is really important to it
1: and maintaining success. You just need to look at Jack Grealish, who's never won a Premier League, and how he's been playing recently Mm. and the effort and desire that he's been been showing. Yeah, he's been sensational. Nathan Ake, I think, has probably been an unlikely standout performer for Manchester City over the last year. Mm -hmm. And he's someone who's, you know, apart from going to Manchester City, not really tasted the success that some of the other players in that squad have. And I think Haaland's the same. You look at the players that have been performing, they're the ones who have not really been as successful in terms of trophies in English football. So maybe there's something to be said for that. In terms of the scoreline, 1-1 away in Leipzig, not the ideal result for Manchester City, but not a poor result by any stretch, Joel. I think they can feel comfortable with the scoreline level that they can bring the Germans back to the Etihad and get through to the next
0: round. Yeah, you would think so. But I mean, City in the Champions League are just a very different, unpredictable side to when they're in the Premier League. I just never know what I'm going to get with them because we've seen it. So many different campaigns go by where they've you know, uh, let a lead completely slip. I always remember that was it was Lyon game or Porto game uh, where they lost in the quarterfinals when Leon Sterling it. missed on the touch, like literally on the line to take them through. Yeah. These little moments where they just don't seem to have it. So even though, yeah, there's obviously there's no away goals, so it's still completely level. I still don't feel comfortable with them at the moment, even when they drew uh, last week against Nottingham Forest. Again, that's a game that that would have been absolute bread and butter for them and they would have completely annihilated them last year. But now I'm just starting to see a hell of a lot of inconsistency in their game. Um, And despite that win against Arsenal, I thought that that win against Arsenal would have been a massive catalyst to go on and just completely um, change the status quo of their season. But it just seems like they're lacking constantly. Um, one step forward, two steps back. But yeah, I mean, as long as they didn't lose, it's fine. But I think Guardiola feels a lot of pressure to win it this year because it's been a long, how long has he been there now? Six, seven years and yeah. only had one final. I think there's a lot of pressure going into it now.
1: Yeah, I actually managed to catch the highlights of the Champions League finals between Manchester United and Barcelona, managed by Pep Guardiola I thought like The both of them were both terrible anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, one, one, one of them at Wembley with the messy header. Um, no, no, that was uh, Rome. Was it Rome, yeah, was yeah, it? Yeah. Well, one of them were Messi header where he's hanging in the air for an eternity. Um, yeah. Amazing header. And then the other one, I think, where Rooney scored at Wembley, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think I remember the post-match interview. Sir Alex Ferguson was obviously gutted, but it was almost as if, you have to say... He just accepted it, didn't he? just he? accepted yeah. they were outclassed it was one of the best I've ever seen in my life. You could not, so,
0: no one could say anything. Um, but again, Guardiola still not won a, a Champions League without his little man, Messi. <laughs> Uh, if you want to say it's a correlation I ain't saying nothing if I speak I'm in big big trouble
1: it took Messi a while to win the World Cup so leave leave it for now it (laughs) might take Pep a bit of time to win the Champions League but who knows Uh, Manchester City won Leipzig won in Germany last night that's the Champions League done and dusted for this week but next on football social daily we're going to turn our attentions to the second tier of european competition although with the two teams in action tonight at old trafford you wouldn't think it was manchester united against barcelona all nicely set at two apiece for a real classic tonight we'll talk about it after this Final part of today's Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the show. I'm Niall. Joel and Marley are with me. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of this podcast again. Monday to Friday, Premier League news views and opinions for you, including interviews as well with former Premier League players. We've got some good ones on the way for you as well. But now we're going to talk about the Europa League. Manchester United against Barcelona tonight at Old Trafford. This is a big game, Marley, but is it a big game not just because it's knockout in a European competition, but because of the calibre of the two clubs that are involved. It feels like a big game tonight around Manchester. On the way into the studio this morning, a lot of red shirts, a lot of Catalans knocking around as well. It feels like a a big occasion tonight.
2: It is. I think it's, um, it's one that you don't get until April, May. Usually, you know, teams this in form and this historically big, you know, they've had all the the history and the past and everything and it's finally poised so it's got pretty much everything to be a classic really um and yeah it's uh it's gonna be a good game but it's just down to uh to who's like they've both gone through a bit of you know rough patch haven't they you know sort of rebuilding and resetting themselves you know with managerial appointments not quite going right Barcelona with Koeman signing every Dutch player in the world thinking thinking they're all mint and they're all turn out to be rubbish like Luke de Jong and Memphis Depay and you know trying to
0: recreate Cruyff and he somehow <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yeah um, and then you've got Man United obviously coming off the back of Rangnick with no plan and no focus and now they've got a a competent manager who seems to be taking them forward, even though he signed a big d- Dutch lump of wood, the cart horse, the cart horse himself, and uh, and put him in the team. But it seems to be working because they're winning games. So it's um it's it's a good game. I'd be intriguing watch. I just hope they run each other into the ground. Well, Barcelona run Man United into the ground, and they're knackered for Sunday. Well, yeah, big <laughs>
1: final on Sunday, Manchester United, Newcastle United, Carabao Cup at Wembley marley as he says is hoping that manchester united knacker themselves out possibly going to extra time and penalties just for that time. extra emotional drain on those players how does eric ten Hag play this one joel because as we mentioned big cup final first domestic silverware of the season on offer on sunday but yeah only three four days prior to that he's got this massive game tonight in a knockout tie against barcelona
0: I think because of the magnitude of the game and his reaction after Leicester, where I think he said something like, "When you know, when we go to Barcelona, when we play Barcelona again, we, we need the same again, same energy." I think he's going to go fully strength. I don't think for one second he's going to try and think about Sunday because in every single game he's played this season, he's never never gone weak. He always says, I play my best, best team because I want to win He's everything. He's never rotated, yeah, I no, don't think. Never, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Even he he when, does every even now and again, got, one or two uh, changes, but
1: it's never serious. Oh, it's also. never yeah. like a complete overhaul. Like
2: in the early stages of the Europa League, he played like Ammonia and, uh, and he as went, a Sheriff. Yeah, and he went for it. Yeah, and like even Debravka didn't even play, like De Gea played every game. Because I remember thinking, I think it took Debravka like four months to make his debut
0: for my U And that was like, like that. a League Cup, like fifth round or something like that. Yeah, he played when, two games in the League Cup and... Yeah, and that was it. <laughs> he's back again. Now he's cup tied. But uh, yeah, I think it's 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 a strange one cuz I said to you this morning now looking at this game and how good the first leg was. Mm. If it, it does not feel like a round of 32 Europa League. No. Usually it would be a United yeah. against a Kazakhstan side yeah, it feels yeah. massive fact, oh, it, it does have have feels well. huge
2: it should have been avoided as well but Sociedad got got the top spot didn't yeah, you? So they so they don't have to yeah, play yeah, it yeah, there's that. a pretty
1: um, controversial penalty against Martinez in one of the group stage games in which Sociedad won at Old Trafford 1-0 yeah. it deflected off his hip and into his elbow and it was all a bit controversial but 100% penalty <laughs> <laughs> I, do you know what I think what it is is if you look at the fixture list that Manchester United have had from the start of the month to now in about two weeks Leeds Leeds again, back-to-back games against Leeds, and there's a big rivalry there between Leeds and Manchester United. Barcelona, Leicester, Barcelona again tonight, and then Newcastle in the cup final, a midweek game against West Ham in the FA Cup before they travel to Anfield on Sunday, the 5th of March. In terms of a run of fixtures yeah. and a manager trying to figure out what pieces go where and who to put in a starting 11, that's as tricky as it gets. You've got two, a two-legged tie against a European heavyweight. You've got two games against your rivals, another game against your rivals, Liverpool coming up and a cup final in the middle of all that.
0: And I wouldn't have it any other way. I think we're the only side in Europe now who's in every single competition still. And I would have absolutely taken that this yeah. at the start of the season. But in five days bit. you might have halved that. <laughs> well, we've got the cup. When we've got the cup. I mean, we'd have to be in it then. Um... But yeah, I'm excited for it. And, you know, exclusive news, Frankie de Jong is finally at Old Trafford. Well, I
1: was going to ask you about that. (laughs) Frankie de Jong is going to land at Old Trafford tonight. All of this speculation for 18 months about Manchester United needing a new central midfielder, wanting Frankie de Jong. He didn't want to leave Barcelona because they owed him some money. And then it was all about him wanting to stay at Barcelona and prove that he's, you know, the right man to fit in there. All of the chat about Eric Ten Hag being Dutch and Frankie de Jong having played underneath him at Ajax. And yet United go and sign Casemiro and he's been an absolute revelation in the United midfield as an alternative to Frankie de Jong. Let's get that right. But yet the man who was top of their shopping list is now finally going to arrive in Manchester. Lots of talk about that. There'll be a lot of eyes on him tonight.
0: Well, he did an open training session at Old Trafford just last night and the uh, the cameras were both focusing on him and he was just idolising the Stretford end, just kind of like, oh my God, what <laughs> no, a stadium. He, he was
2: looking up at it going,
0: there's a hole in that roof. They're going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, God, it's not like the new, the Spotify New Camp, this. at least they've got their own name. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange one, this, because he's been linked so much and one of the reasons he stayed at Barcelona, reportedly, was to stay in the Champions League, so it's kind of poetic how he's now about to be put out of the Europa League by the team that was trying <laughs> to get him. Um But I think it's it's just a re- yeah, like I say, it's a really nice story because again, we never really were on the cusp of getting him. I don't think the fact that we went for Casemiro for probably more money than we would have paid, and he turned out to be a revelation. It's his birthday today as well, Casemiro. Casemiro, well. Well, another year great, older, another year older. Yeah, mm. and he gets better with age, like a fine Spanish wine, isn't he? Um, <laughs> and it's, I think it's going to, for Frankie de Jong as well, it'll be a chance to prove himself a little bit on on a stage that he's never played before, in terms of Old Trafford. Um, and I think a lot of the United fans are desperately looking to see him in person. I don't think it's going to happen in the summer. But, like I say, you know, when, you know, Scarface, when he said, the eyes never lie, Chico. Watch that video, and I'm telling you, he's fallen in love already. (laughs) That's what they all do with the Manchester things.
1: (laughs) Say hello to my little friend. Is that Scarface? I think it is, isn't it? Say hello to my little friend. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. All right, Manchester United-Barcelona tonight at Old Trafford. I wonder how that one will unfold. Tomorrow, we'll be looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League action and, of course, that big Cup final as well. You can already hear our preview with Michael and Marley on Tuesday's episode of Football Social Daily. One Newcastle, one Manchester United fan. So scroll back in the timeline to find that. But for us on Football Social Daily today, that is it. Football Social Daily is a VoiceWorks Sport production for the Sport Social Podcast Network.